Welcome to the uh, New Year's Day edition of Rich Top Church. Um, this is one of those church plant moments, and, and there will be many, <laughs> where you're like, is anybody going to show up? I, maybe. Let's just do it. Um, and I'm really glad you're here. And I think we're going to really be encouraged by this Psalm 90. Um, and we'll talk more about it here in a minute. But it is New Year, and everyone's saying Happy New Year. People I don't even know on the street are like, we were walking the other day, and this lady that was walking by, and she's like, Happy New Year. I'm like, whoa, this is, this is amazing. The, the guy that I was, I was buying uh, some jeans from uh, was, was like, uh, I had to bring the jeans back because they left a little, a little security thing on it, and I, I brought them back, and the, the guy was like, wear these jeans in good health. And I was like, wow, yeah, this, this, I like that. Amen. I said amen. You know, I was like, I, I, I like that. Um, you know, the, our, our little uh, finance company that has our retirement sent us a note and said, have a happy and prosperous new year. You know, like, yeah, that feels good. That, that feels really good. Um, but is it going to be a happy new year? Um, I don't know. We don't know. Uh, what happened last year when people said happy new year to you last year? Were they right? Probably a mix. I mean, I think each of us here would say we, we had some happy times in 2022, but some disappointing times as well, some hard times, uh, some, some broken relationships or broken down bodies or uh, broken down disciplines and finances and things that didn't go all that well in 2022. And so what, what can we really say with confidence for 2023? I think Psalm 90 can help us. What, what we can really say with confidence about 2023. Um, and so in two big categories, um, Moses, and this is a psalm by Moses, which is, this is the only psalm in the psalms written by Moses, which makes it kind of cool. That's one of my favorite psalms. Um, and in it, he, he says what we can know for sure about reality, and then in light of that, what we should ask in prayer. So it's, it's pretty profound when you think about it. What, what, what can we know for sure about what's real, and what should we ask in prayer in light of what's, what is real? Um, so there's some things that we can know f- for sure about life. One is, is that we live in what I'm going to call a transcendent frame. And I'll explain more what I, what I mean by that. So he opens up by describing the sort of the framework that we live in uh, as human beings, really. Psalm 90, verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever, you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. So Moses is about to say some really hard things about reality, but he starts off by letting us know the frame that we're in. And so he's letting us know that we're not just in what uh, philosopher Charles Taylor calls an imminent frame, where all that is is what we can see, but we actually live in a transcendent frame, where there is an unseen as well as a seen, right? Uh, You might think of it as kind of a two-dimensional existence versus a three-dimensional. So you think of a two-dimensional box is sort of like an imminent frame. All, all that's real is what I can, can see. 
But what's, what's actually true is that we, whether we believe it or not, we live in a transcendent frame. We live in a three-dimensional world where there is a God in the unseen, a creator who is present to his creation. It's not just he created it and just set it loose. It's he's actually present in this creation. And that is true for everyone, whether they believe it or not, whether they see it or not, whether they acknowledge it or not. This is the frame that we live in. And um, as, as we re- reflect on that, um, we, we start to have some thoughts about the next parts in, in the, the Psalm 90. Um, now, I think in Austin, it's hard to find anybody who's just, all there is is the imminent frame, right? I mean, there's some like classic secularists out there um, that are like, nothing is in the unseen, but this is a really spiritual city. And so people are acknowledging there's something in the unseen. They're not exactly sure what it is, but, but they acknowledge that there is a spirituality out there. Um, I don't know if you've seen these um, the, the Shinyan dancers that are having performances all over the world, and there's billboards everywhere, and there's all these leaflets everywhere. I mean, these, their marketing campaign is unbelievable. Um, and, and you think, oh, it's, like a, it's just like a Chinese culture kind of thing, and that'd be kind of cool to go to. And then we, we saw some of the flyers the other day, and it's like, uh, these claims that people are getting healed when they go to see the Shinyan dancers. And then you do a little Googling and you find out uh, it, they're, they're part of an occultic kind of a group that's spiritual. And they're actually trying to draw people into this spiritual kind of experience. Um, you know, the, 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 the thing about the, the, the psychedelic uh, drugs that are being used for spiritual experiences, right? This is like all over the internet. I've said, how, how can I get beyond the eminent frame into the unseen to get some help with my eminent frame? Now, here's where the people are still pretty tied to the eminent frame is whatever they're doing spiritually typically is just to help them have a better life in the eminent. They don't really care what's in the spiritual. They're just trying to get to it and get it to help them, whatever it is, to get them to have a better eminent frame. But how does Moses understand this world that has a creator God who is present? Well, this is partly what he, his reflections. Verse 3, he says, you return man to dust. And you say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning, it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening, it fades and it withers. So he's reflecting on the eternal God, and that gets him thinking about the impermanence of human beings. Makes sense, right? It's very logical. Um, And so as he's considering that, he starts to think about Genesis chapter 3, where God declares some of the consequences of the fall, of of humanity's sin. And part of the consequences of this impermanence is, or of this sin, is that you are not going to be around for very long, right? So uh, Genesis 3.19 is what I'm talking about, where God says to Adam, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground 
since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So in Genesis 1 and 2, Adam is supposed to be ruling and reigning over the dust. And in Genesis 3, the dust is reigning over Adam. And so this, this idea of this impermanence of the human being, as opposed to the transcendent eternal God, who for a thousand years is just like a, a day. I mean, do you know what was happening here in 1023? I mean, I don't. But for God, it's nothing. He's, he's that eternal, and, and he's eternal, right? He just, he's not just going to live to an old age of 5,000 years. He's always been, and he always will be, right? The writer of Hebrews, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so he uses these different il- illustrations to help us think about our impermanence, right? He's like, you're like grass. In the morning, there it is. It pops up. It's all green. It's all fresh. By the afternoon, it's brown. It's dead. That's you. You're like a dream. You have a dream. It feels so vivid when you wake up. Melanie was telling me about a dream this morning. I just had this dream. Vivid. But by the afternoon, by tomorrow, what was that dream? I don't know. I can't remember. The impermanence of human beings. It's like being swept away from a flood. Wow, that's a little more intense. So you think about a town that is, is bustling, it's developing, it's growing, it's building, and then overnight, flood, it's gone. You're just walking through a mud flat. Moses is like, that's you and me. We're like grass, we're like a dream. We're like a, having a flood sweep us away. And so... Again, these things are this inevitable, this aging, death. These are things that he's pointing us to and getting us to meditate on, uh, which, which may sound weird. Um, but then he gets into why this is happening. Why, why is it like this? Why are this, this impermanence of human beings? In verse 7, he says, For we are brought to an end by your anger, God, right? by your wrath, we are dismayed. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. He lets us know that the impermanence is due to our sin. We are under God's wrath. Because of human sin. Now, this will certainly be you know, a, a, a personal kind of wrath at the judgment that will be given by God uh, to, to folks that have not yet received Christ. But he's talking about general wrath. All human beings, including us, we're living under this kind of general wrath on earth because of human sin. It's the effects of sin. Um, and everyone's having to live under that in a general way, right? Whether you're bad people or you're better people, whether you're Christians or you're not, like, we're all having to live under this kind of fallen world. Um, the gym where I go to, there's two groups. There's the young and there's the old. Nobody in the middle because they're too busy to go to the gym, 
they have kids and they're trying to build their careers. And it's, it, I'm telling you, it's young and it's old. The young are trying to look hot for whoever it is they're trying to look hot for. I mean, yesterday I walk into the, to the, uh, the, the, the men's restroom and there's this young guy and he's literally like looking in the mirror and he's like, <laughs> he's like, man, I'm looking good. I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, and, you know, I hate to tell him, hey, age is coming. It's coming to get you. It's going to droop. It's going to blossom. <laughs> Not in a good way of blossoming. Uh, you're going to lose muscle tone. You're going to lose bone density. Actually, from age 30, all that stuff starts going down. I have a wonderful article I can send you if you want to read about it. Age is coming. right? Now, then there's the old. right? And they're, they're not trying to look hot. They're just trying to stay alive. I don't know how many times I've seen this in, in the, you know, the men's dressing room. This old dude with his shirt off, he's got this scar all the way down his chest from a heart surgery. And he's trying to stay alive. And I got bad news. Death's coming eventually. Right? The flood's going to sweep you away. Right? This is what Moses is trying to get people to think about. Because it's real. It's reality. And, 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 and he's thinking about it in light of a transcendent, eternal God. And, and, and we'll get more into that. But this, this is a wise meditation. And it's, I think, especially helpful on New Year's Day as we think about 2023. Um, not only is there the aging and the death, but he says uh, we, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. Right? He says... Our span, our lifespan is but toil and trouble. That's also hearkening back to Genesis 3 when God says to Adam, your work is going to be toil. This is an effect of sin. This is a a general wrath, a general judgment over all of humanity. Um, Most of the people that I've seen turn away from Christ is because of suffering. They usually present as if it's an intellectual issue. But when you dig in, it's suffering. It's disappointment with this world, with the imminent frame. Um, I've walked with a couple of different pastors who've walked away from the faith. And both of them presenting as, I have an intellectual problem. I'm like, really? You didn't last year? I mean, what's going on? And for one, it was a friend who died of cancer. And he's like, Jesus, if that's the way he's going to handle life, I don't, I'm going to go find something better to help me have a better life in the imminent frame. Another is his disappointment over ministry, didn't go as well as he thought it was going to go. Uh, family's hard, just a lot of disappointment. And he just finally got to this place where he's like, if this is, if this is how Jesus is going to handle things in the imminent frame, I'm going to go find something better. Um, And so this is how folks, you know, end up saying, you know what, I'm going to go down the road of alcohol and drugs. I'm going to feel better now in the imminent frame. Or or I'm going to feel better now through alternative spiritualities. Right? This whole, like, deconstructing your faith and that kind of thing. A lot of that is due to, I don't like how you're handling life in the imminent frame, Jesus. I'm going to go find another spirituality. 
I might even halfway think that this is true, but I don't care. I just want to be, have a nicer life, a better life. Right? Or uh, feeling better now by you know, expressing sexualities that are alternative to what Christ would have us do as our Lord. Why? Why do that? I want to feel better now. And honestly, if you want to feel better now, those are probably better options. Those are probably better options short term. But Moses is teaching us that we live in a transcendent frame before the face of the creator God who is present, whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not. This is what is this is what's true. Even some versions of so-called Christian spirituality fall to the temptation of, of trying to manipulate God to make life better now, right? Sometimes this is called the prosperity gospel. It's like, God, I need you to give me a new car or a new job or a new spouse or whatever the thing is. I, mean, I watched this clip the other day, this prosperity preacher, he's having his congregation put their hand, the bald guys, on their, on their bald spot and declare baldness to go away in Jesus' name, you know? If that's not like getting a little, you know, focused on the imminent frame, I don't know what it is, right? And so Christianity can even be manipulated into thinking this way of, it's about the imminent frame, right? I don't, it's, it's about what I can see. This is what I want. And so we end up praying, dear God, you know, please make my life trouble-free. Amen. And it, that's, that's not what Moses is teaching us to do. And you, again, you might say, I, I don't like that. Robert, I don't like this sermon. I don't know why you chose this passage. I'm going to choose to believe that I'm going to have a happy new year. Well, you go right ahead. And then you will meet the brick wall of reality. You, you, you can't get out of this frame. This is partly what Moses is telling us. No matter who you are, you're in this frame before the face of a holy God. Right? Now, that's really depressing. And what Moses tells us to do next is incredibly counterintuitive. Verse 11, he says, Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? That's, that's what you've been doing the whole psalm. You've been considering the power of his wrath and his anger <laughs> according to the fear, the reverent fear or worship of God. So here's what Moses is doing in this. This is a pivot point in the psalm. He's, he's saying, I know that you're living under this sort of general wrath and this really, you know, this, this life that's full of trouble and suffering and aging and death, but I want you to turn toward this God and worship the creator God. And again, it's counterintuitive. You're like, really? Is he safe? Can I do that? Right? And, and so this is the pivot point. And so as, as we pivot toward God and we move toward God, uh, this is where we break through in the psalm. And it's foolish not to turn toward God. It's foolish. Um, psalm 14, verse 1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, their deeds are vile, there is no one who does good. 
The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. So when he's talking about, um, the fool says in his heart there is no God. He's not talking about uh, a, a convictional secular atheist. There was no such thing in the first century. Everyone believed in God or God's. What he's believing is someone who's a functional atheist who said, hey, I may be a theist, but I'm going to live like there is no God. I'm only going to live in the imminent frame. Right? And the scriptures say that is so foolish. Why? Because it's not true. It's not what's real. What's real is we live in the transcendent frame, creator God who's present to all of us and everything. And so as we move toward God, this is what Moses teaches us to pray. There's four things that he teaches us to pray. And I'm hoping this will help us as we move into 2023. Some things that we acknowledge about life and its difficulty and, and, and then some things that we can move toward God with in prayer. Here are the four things. Wisdom, compassion, satisfaction, and fruitfulness. Four things, at least. There's probably some more in there, but these are the four I'm going to focus on. Ask for wisdom. So that's verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Now, wisdom is just living well. Living well in day-to-day -day life, in everything that you do. Home life, work life, play life, all of it. Living well. You know? And he's saying that getting a, a, a good sense of your impermanence, your finiteness, your frailty, like th this is a good thing. This is a wise thing. This is part of what he means. He number your days. I don't think he's meaning calendar your, your schedule. I think he's, he's meaning think about how short of a time you have on this planet. This is a good thing. This is what wise people do. It's all over the wisdom literature. So wisdom literature is like Psalms and Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Um, and so in, those, in that literature, especially Ecclesiastes, you, you see this impermanence theme throughout. And evidently it's good to think on that if it's in the Bible, right? And so uh, Psalm 39 is, an, is another example. Uh, o Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. See? That's counting your days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths. My lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath, right? And then it's Selah, which is just a prompt to, to reflect, right? So reflecting on your finiteness, your impermanence, right? And then look at what, what's next after the Selah. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. There's another illustration. Surely for nothing, they're in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. So that's where the wisdom comes in. He's like, think about your impermanence, and then think about how you should live your life in light of that, right? Jesus says, if, if, you know, you could gain the whole world and lose your soul. Well, that's dumb. He's reflecting on impermanence and how that changes the way you deal with wealth and what you stress over and what you don't stress over and all that sort of things. So if we're going to properly consider 2023, 
We need to get in touch with our impermanence. So I'm doing this sermon. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about, okay, let me think about it. 15 years, what, 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 what should I do to steward my next 15 years? And I go, oh my gosh, I'm going to be 69 in 15 years. I just have a little panic attack. Like, oh my gosh, I'm almost dead, you know? But this is good. Like, this is good to think about. Not just going from day to day to day to day. Oh, I got all the time in the world. No, actually, we don't. We don't. We're here for a short time. So in light of that, what, what do we need to, how do we need to live? Live wisely, right? And, and I think this idea of praying for wisdom, this is a broader topic than just teach me to count my days, right? And we even know from Scripture that God wants us to pray for wisdom, right? James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. That's so straightforward. Just ask. I'll give it to you. And so I think this is a good, this is a great prayer request, right, for 2023. Ask for wisdom. Ask for wisdom. And, and ask it by exploring the scriptures and ask it by praying, right? I think sometimes we're praying for wisdom that's already in the scriptures. And God's like, huh. I mean, I put it down in black and white. It's right there. I don't, why, are you, why are you asking me? Right? But there's obviously other opportunities to, to be figuring out things that, we can't find the verse, you know, and God will be very faithful to tell us what to do and how to, how to handle things. So pray for wisdom. Ask for compassion from God, right? Uh, verse 13 of Psalm 90, return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants? Or have, NIV says, compassion on your servants. Just because we live in this impermanent, fallen world, under sort of general wrath doesn't mean that God doesn't care. He cares a great deal. Moses knows that. He's crying out to God, have compassion on us. How long, Lord? Please just wrap this thing up. Right? He's asking for God to give compassion. And, and God cares. And God wants us to ask for help with everything. That's how compassionate he is, right? If you start asking me for everything, I'm going to be like, would you just leave me alone? Like, like I can help you with a few things, but, but God's like, no, 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 come to me, come to me, come to me, come to me. Ask for everything. Ask for everything. Um, it, it, it's hard for us to even comprehend that he would care that much about daily bread, you know? Like, really? You want me to come ask you for daily bread? Yeah. Daily strength? Yeah. Ask me. Daily hope? Yeah, do it. Daily, what do you need? Come. He has that kind of compassionate heart toward us. And he had so much compassion that he literally entered into this frame of living under the general wrath of God, right? I mean, Hebrews Chapter 4 tells us this about Jesus. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God's so compassionate. And because you know, Christ 
has, has lived inside this frame, he knows what it's like. He knows how hard it is. He knows how painful it is. And we can go to him for those daily needs. And what's interesting is that oftentimes some kind of chronic daily need becomes a prompt for asking God for daily grace. You notice that? Like chronic pain. I mean, I got this chronic pain between my shoulder blades for the last three weeks. And it's like, God, take this away. <laughs> it's like I'm moving toward him that I wasn't doing before as much. Uh, chronic character flaws. Things that you're just like, when am I going to get over this? Right? Like, I'm 54. Like, come on. It's a prompt. It's a prompt. God, help me. And he's compassionate in that. He will, he will come near. Chronic depression. Right? It's a prompt. God, help me. And he hears. He is compassionate. Chronic battles with sinful desires. It's a prompt. And sometimes, absolutely, he wipes those things away. He gives us once and for all kind of power over something, and we move on, and we don't have to look back again. But other times, for whatever reason, in his providence, things are just chronic, and they're prompts for crying out for his compassion, to be crying out, relent, Lord, how long? (laughs) How long? Have pity on your servant. And what we need more than anything else in a daily way is the third thing, satisfaction. Satisfaction. Verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. He asks for satisfaction, right? That's, that's, a, that's an awesome prayer request right there. And is it satisfaction in new cars and houses or new wardrobe or more and better friendships or more and better food? No. None, none of those things. Not that those things don't matter. They do matter. And they matter to God. But what matters most is this satisfaction in His steadfast or unfailing love. And so we're asking, God, help me be satisfied in that unfailing love. And it's obvious that the only thing that's changing regarding his unfailing love is our level of satisfaction or dissatisfaction. Like, God's love stays the same. (laughs) It's not changing. He's offering it the same every day. But our level of satisfaction is changing. And so Moses is saying, ask that we would be satisfied with his unfailing love. Love. We live in a culture of dissatisfaction. More so than I think any other time in human history, right? All social media and marketing is geared toward making you dissatisfied so that you will buy the product, right? Um, There's actually some physiological things that are part of it. There's something called a dopamine loop that marketers and especially social media marketers understand. And what what happens when you are seeking something to satisfy you, you have a shot of dopamine, this neurotransmitter. And what's supposed to happen is you you then get the thing and then you're satisfied. And that's when the opioid system kicks in and you have this neurotransmitter that makes you feel satiated. You're satisfied. 
Well, the trick is to never let you feel satisfied. To only give you the dopamine hit for the dissatisfaction and the seeking for satisfaction. Right? And so we made some plane reservations yesterday. And this morning I had an email from that airline saying, wouldn't you like more legroom? I would. I mean, it's pretty cool that it can fly across the nation in three hours, but I would like more legroom. I'm dissatisfied. <laughs> That's how it works. It's just this, this loop. And so we're, we're being formed, spiritually formed, to be dissatisfied. And evidently, it was also a struggle in the ancient world, and they didn't even have social media. <laughs> and Moses is saying, hey, you need to pray that you would be satisfied from the unfailing, steadfast love of God. And as Christians, we know better than Moses that God's love is unfailing. It is something that we can count on 100%. Why? Because of the cross, right? Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's no doubt in our minds, or should be, that God unconditionally loves us. Right? He showed that love at the cross before we did anything to deserve it. And so we can know his love is unfailing. And so it makes sense we, that we should be satisfied by that. But of course we're not. And we need assistance. We need God to help us to be satisfied with his unfailing love. And again, this seems to be consistent with Scripture, right? I mean, look, listen to Paul talk, talking to the Ephesians or praying for the Ephesians. He says to the Ephesians, I praise for them, may, that they may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Right? You're asking, help, help me. I know it's true. I'm just not satisfied. Help me be satisfied. Help me be filled with the love of God in Christ. And what makes us doubt his love and not be satisfied with his love? I mean, for the most part, suffering. Things don't go like we plan. And we don't feel like God loves us because things aren't going well. Again, this seems consistent with Scripture as, as Paul describes this suffering scenario in Romans 5. Uh, he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. <laughs> really? <laughs> okay. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. And character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. I think up to that point, it sounds a little bit like a football coach. Like, you're suffering, but it builds character. But then look what it says. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Spirit is at the ready, ready to assist our level of satisfaction with the love of God in Christ. So I think that's a good prayer request for 2023. Ask for satisfaction in the love, unfailing love of God in Christ. Number four, this is the last request here. Ask for fruitfulness. Now what we do in this life, in this sort of imminent frame, it does matter. Uh, but notice that Moses waits to the very end to put this part in the psalm. He wants us to move out of ourselves, out of our imminent frame, up and out to the transcendent God. 
right? And get our focus on him. And then and only then come back to what is imminent and see it in a new light. This is what's so profound about this, this psalm, as he brings us back to what is seen. And here's what he says, verse 16. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So what he does, he goes back. This is, very, this is a very Moses kind of thing to do, right? Go back to Genesis and go back to the two mandates that were given to Adam and Eve. And that was to procreate and produce. That's what that was given in, in Genesis, in, in the created order. And so procreate, he's like, have a bunch of babies and fill the earth, right? Lots of image bearers that are going to fill this planet. That's mandate one. And then mandate two, right, is, is to produce, to cultivate the land, to rule and subdue in a good life-giving way over planet earth. Um, and so the procreation part is the let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. So he's praying for this spiritual legacy that generations, which is how he opens the, uh, opens the, the psalm, that generations have lived in the presence of God, right? And so he's, he's praying that God would raise up the next generation and the next generation and the next generation of those who worship and serve God, this is a good way to spend your short time here on earth, raising babies to love and serve God. And so he's, he's praying for this legacy <laughs> of, of, of people being raised up in families. And, and we, we had this friend who's mother of three, and uh, she was like, I'm really struggling with my purpose, right? What's my purpose? getting like a life coach to help with the purpose. And then she realized, oh, my purpose is these kids, <laughs> at least in this stage in her life. And that is a glorious purpose, to raise those kids to love and serve Jesus. It's part of this idea of being fruitful. Now, you're like, well, I'm single. I'm not married. I don't have a family. Yeah, but you're part of this bigger picture of the fruitfulness of raising the next generation. It's some of the most beautiful gifts given to us relationally uh, as, as we've been with younger people a lot and a lot of single people is that they invest in our kids. They loved our kids as they, as they grew up. And they showed them Christ. And, and they, you know, it wasn't just mommy and daddy saying, you know, you should follow Jesus. But it was like a 21-year-old you know, football player who was saying, yeah, you should follow Jesus. And it, it had an, a profound effect. On our, on our kids. It also means families ought to be inviting those who are single into their family. You can have biological kids, but you can also have lots of adopted kids. And so it's, it's tough being single in the city and having to work a job and figure out meals and figure out cleaning the house and do all the stuff and do that as a single person. And so bringing folks in to, to families where they can, it's a, it's a beautiful mutual thing, right? Because that single person can watch your kids while you got on a date, you know? 
but then you can really be an encouragement to folks that are trying to figure out meals, you know, every night of the week by themselves. Then there's also the fruitfulness of disciple-making, right? You're not just raising up biological babies, but you're seeing spiritual fruit, spiritual multiplication. And we know as Christians, this is part of what Christ has commissioned us to do, to make disciples of all nations, right? And so this is fruitfulness. And we say, so we pray for that. We're praying, God, would you make us fruitful? Make these the families fruitful, kids that are growing up in, in Christ, fruitful, disciple-making, fruitful. We want to ask God to make it fruitful. And I think this is incredibly important for us as a church, right? I mean, he's produced some really awesome fruit over this last year. It's amazing. But we're hoping he's going to produce more fruit in 2023. We're going to pray for that. We're going to pray that he would make our labors fruitful. Now, the fruitfulness is also uh, production, right? So, the work of our hands, that the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. That, that matters too in this frame. Sometimes Christians can say, well, nothing matters except, you know, make disciples and that's all we're going to do. And, but actually the work that you do with your hands or with your mind, that matters in this frame. It's something that brings glory to God and good to the people uh, that are around you. It's God honoring. And in the wisdom literature, people that don't work with their hands or don't, aren't diligent uh, in working are evil. They're foolish, right? So, for instance, Proverbs 21, 25, the desire of the sluggard kills him for his hands refuse to labor. Right? That doesn't sound pretty positive, does it? Like, like his, his hands should be laboring. Uh, Proverbs 24, 23, and a few chapters after that, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man, Right? Those hands can be diligent, can be hardworking. Um, as opposed to Proverbs 31 woman, who is like the poster child for wise living. So, for instance, Proverbs 31 verse 3, she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. That's the opposite of the sluggard. It literally means happy hands. Right? Uh, verse 16, she considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hands she plants a vineyard. Verse 19, she puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens the hand to the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy. Give her the fruit of her hands, verse 31, and let her works praise her in the gates. Her hands are diligent. They're working hard. This is, this is good. This is what we want to do. But the fruitfulness of it, we don't have direct control over. There's a great humility here that Moses shows as he asks God, would you make our hands fruitful? We're going to work hard. We're going to be diligent, Lord. But in the, in the end, whatever fruit comes out of it is going to be from you. It's very humble. And so God is in charge of the fruitfulness of our production, of our engineering or our classwork or uh, the teaching we do, or engineering, or, or how, what, classwork, or whatever. Um, the, the God is the one that produces the fruitfulness. So ask God for fruitful, to, be, to make us fruitful. Right. 
I think it's a good prayer for 2023, that we would be fruitful. And so you may be thinking, and I know when, when I read this, I think, okay, is God a God of wrath or is he a God of compassion? Yes. You say, well, how does that work? Well, <laughs> because of the cross. This is what you're seeing at the cross. You're seeing a holy God who pours out wrath on sin. Absolutely. He's a, he's a holy judge. But in his compassion, he makes a way for sinners who are under that wrath to be given forgiveness and be brought into a relationship with him. And so we see this, again, Romans 5, verse 8. Remember I just read this to you? Uh, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Look at verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Which is he? Is he loving? Is he wrathful? Yes. And the only way that he could be consistent with that is the cross, where he is pouring out his wrath, but he is also showing compassion to sinners like you and me. And so the way we can get into this relationship with a, a compassionate God and pray these prayers, like, like Moses is encouraging us to do that, is through faith in Christ. If you don't have that, then you can't really pray these prayers. Your, your existence and your future is really the first part of the psalm and nothing else. It's through Christ that we can be saved from the wrath that we are under. So as we put our faith in Christ, as we move toward him in faith, we can then pray these prayers. And I want to I use these prayers as some prompts to think about 2022 and then pray about 2023. So we're going to do something a little, a little different. Jackson, you going to help me with this? Pass those out. Can you help me with this? We're going to run through these pretty quickly, but I just, I know how this is. You leave church and you jump back into the regular life and you're like, what was that sermon about? I, I don't know. Let's keep moving. Um, so I'm going to at least give you a little space to get prompted by this stuff. And then I hope you'll take this home and you'll take it into a quiet place and you'll pray through these maybe in a longer term when you get home, okay? All right, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna read each phrase. We'll just have a brief moment of silence. Not a lot, we'll be here all day if we do that. Um, but just, and don't go dredging stuff up. Let, let God's spirit, he is so gentle. Let him prompts some things in your mind, right? And if there's nothing prompted, it's okay. Keep moving, right? But I, th I think as I did this, as I, I worked through these, um, things came to mind. Like, oh yeah, huh, I hadn't thought about that. So hopefully this will be helpful to you. So number one, thank God for the wisdom he provided and ask forgiveness and restoration for times you were foolish in 2022. Thank God for the compassion he showed you in your pain and suffering in 2022, either directly or through the support of family and friends or the church. 
Thank God for the ways he satisfied your soul with his love and confess the dissatisfaction that you sometimes experienced in 2022. Thank God for the fruitfulness that occurred in your family, friendships, ministry, and work and ask forgiveness for times when you wasted time that he had given you for working hard with your mind and body. And now let's move into thinking about 2023. Ask God for wisdom, for living life well, for his glory, and for our own flourishing and the flourishing of others. Ask God to show you compassion in struggles you're currently facing or that you know you will be facing in the coming year. Ask God to satisfy your soul daily with his unfailing love, especially in how you experience that love through the gospel. Ask God to make you fruitful in all that you do this year in areas of family, friendship, work, and ministry. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.